So we are in First Peter. Um, this has been a glorious study for me. I, I love First Peter. It's one of those books that uh, delights your heart because of a, 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 the knowledge of the position you're in. As a believer in Jesus Christ, it's, a, it's such a privilege to see the, the words of Peter here giving us uh, not just prudence in, in how to live, but also a uh, more of a proprietary way in which to live. We have, we have such a great position in Jesus Christ. And I, I, this particular passage, in, it, just, it just drives it home for me. I, I entitled this uh, Having a Higher Heart or a Higher Heart. Um, it's, it's not complicated, not a complicated passage. It just simply goes back to the roots of who we are in Christ. I, I talked last week a bit about the nobility that is involved with knowing Jesus. There is something inherently noble in the Christian faith. It is because we have been born again by His Spirit and His Spirit is majesty on high. It's, a, it's the idea of, of God doing a work in us that we couldn't, we couldn't do on our own and positionally putting us in that, that place of, of authority. Not, not over other people. Please don't, don't misunderstand me. I don't want you to think we're arrogant or proud. That's not the issue. The only thing I have to boast is Christ. And that's the way it should be, though. We ought to have a nobler purpose. We've been set out with a purpose. I love the, this passage of Scripture, and there's another one that talks about our purpose, and it's really uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, dealing with uh, our mandate or our, um, our manifestation as, as an ambassador of Christ. And so those two passages, two passages go really hand in hand. One begets the other. When you understand your position, then, then all of a sudden the ambassadorship of Christ makes more sense. If you understand your, your place as a son or daughter of the king, you, you get the idea that now it is your responsibility to take Christ to the nations. Evangelism is the natural outpouring, by the way, of a higher heart. It's the heart that has been changed that, that wants to declare to everyone else they need Jesus too so that they might have that higher heart, a nobler purpose. That's where we find ourselves today. So if you made your way to 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to have you stand if you would in reverence and honor the Word of God. Here it begins, chapter 2, <clears throat> verse 1. Excuse me. Wherefore, laying aside all malice, and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If so be, you've tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto as they were appointed, but... Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day and thank you for your many blessings. Lord, help us to understand your word that we might understand our position in Christ a little bit better, that we might understand that we have a higher heart, a higher calling. Please, Lord, be with us today as we study your word. In these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I read to you last week a, a great uh, quote and I'm going to read it again only, only to re, kind of reiterate some things we talked about last week. 
this is part two for those of you taking notes. And uh, I'm not going to spend more time on, on point one other than just to reiterate. But I want to get us back to kind of where we were. Remember last week, we, we went to uh, Acts real quick to talk about Christian nobility. What were the two things required in our passage in Acts? This is Acts 17, 10, and 11. Here's what it says. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So the two things, simply, they were eager to receive the word, and two, they searched the scripture to be sure of the things that they heard. You know, one of the biggest letdowns for pastors or elders or whatever you want to call them this week, there is a, a, a motivation for us to preach the word. It's, it's, it's innate in, in the calling of, our, of God on our lives. But one of the things that we struggle with is when people just take our word for it. I don't need you to take my word for it. I already believe what I'm saying. But what I need you to understand is that God has this for you too. And for you to study the scriptures to see if these things were so is a noble, noble gesture. Not just toward me. I, that's, I'm irrelevant here. But it, it dissatisfies me to say, see someone just take my word for it. When I was uh, a young man, in, in, before I was even in ministry, I had a pastor who challenged me all the time and you all have met most of you have met brother Goff now brother Goff is uh, retired and uh, he's a, a little different now from the way I remember him uh, when I knew him he was he was the most passionate man about the Word of God and I sat under him for five years and and I would hear things that I hadn't heard from another preacher another pastor he would challenge us and give us that that Word of God so that it might we might grow thereby right Oh, I remember some things that I pushed back on. Uh, there's still some things he and I disagree on. But I, I, never, I never was ugly to him. I just wanted to, I wanted to make sure that I knew what I believed. You know, in our, in our previous passage that we talked about a couple weeks ago there in 1 Peter, I, I, I want to take you back for just a moment. It's, it's a hard thing, and I, and I just want to grab a hold of it real quick. It says in verse 13, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. I love it, the expression, because in, in the King James, the, the idea of girding up is to tie up the loose ends. I was listening to another preacher this morning, and he, and he said something like this. He was talking about the Roman, when, when the Roman soldier, when he would get ready for battle, he would tie up all the bottom pieces so that when they was in battle, it wouldn't be something you could grab a hold of. It wouldn't be something that would, would stop him or confound him or, or, you know, impede him in any way. And so the notion was, is girding up the loins of your mind means really go in and find out what you believe and, and understand it and know it. Nail it down. One of the greatest things we, we can do is teach doctrine. You all know my heart on doctrine. Uh, I had Tommy spend, what, how long did you spend? Three or four years, Tommy, brother, uh, doing doctrine here in the church. And, and just going through every doctrine we believe and everything that we, we believe and teach so that we can nail it down. Because I don't want you to be out there having to fight against your adversary, the devil, and, and, you're, and you're, in, you're not completely equipped for it. I want you to be ready. There are so many doctrines of men out there that by the time you get through to reading read and understand what you believe, there'll be people who have figured out ways to dissuade you from those things. I just, want you to, I just want you to study the Word of God so that you know. And it's a noble thing for us to jump out after that. In fact, it's part of the higher heart. You see, when you have a higher heart, the desire of the higher heart is to go back, and this is point number one for those of you taking notes. It's a desire for us to cast away sin. We saw that last week, right? It says malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. And we talked about that last week. We get rid of the sin out of our lives. That's usually the first thing that happens. You know, we start to do those things that we, we want to be God-honoring in how we are as much because He's changed who we are, right? So we get rid of the things that are, that are causing us problems. And Peter goes through the list there, right? 
laying aside all malice and all guile and all and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. And then he says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It ought to be the desire of your heart, first, to get rid of those things that would cause you to stumble, and secondly, to go after the one thing that's going to matter in all of eternity, and that's the word of God. As sincere babes, you know, when, when little Emma, my granddaughter, gets hungry, she lets everybody know about it. There's never any doubt. When it's time to eat, she starts to get fussy. And then fussiness leads to this, this hangry face. Y'all know what the hangry face is? It's that face that's like, why haven't you fed me yet? Right? That's how babies operate. They, they desire the sincere milk of the Lord. They don't want water, usually. They're not after water. They're after milk. They want something of sustenance for them. And so the first thing on the agenda is feeding. We have to feed on the, on the meat of the Word here and on the milk of the Word. Now let me give you some things here, just as a, a, as a touchback. The desire for pure biblical teaching, that's point B. That's the first one is to get rid of sin. The second one is, is that desire for pure biblical teaching. 2 Timothy chapter uh, 4, verse 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, can I just abbreviate that for you? That is happening in our day and age in which we live. There are churches and, and would-be preachers out there and pastors who are, who are teaching things that are incongruent with the Word of God. That's the very least I can say on that. Most of them are teaching downright heresy. Let me tell you one of the heresies that I see. Just as a, an example, this uh, health and wealth business that goes on, where they stand in the pulpit and they tell you that you can have your best life now, and if you don't have it, it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. Can I tell you that nowhere in Scripture is any of that found? It's a bunch of lies. Worse than that, it's heresy. Because it teaches people not to rely on God, but to call Him a vending machine and just asking Him for things. Relying on God is not the same as asking and receiving of it. See, when you rely on God, He gives it when it's needed. The other way tells you, you can go to God and, and He'll just give it to you whenever you tell Him. Uh, we, my kids were watching the movie Greater uh, this last weekend, or yesterday, as a matter of fact. And there was a line by, uh, I don't know if it was the brother or whatever, and he was asking uh, his brother, the main character in the movie, to pray because God would hear him because he's more, more righteous. And he says, isn't that the way it works, that if you ask God, he will give it to you? Well, there's a problem with that. There's, a, there's another, another piece to that. And, and he even quoted scripture on it, by the way. He said, doesn't it say in the, in the Bible that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much? Well, yeah. But God's not a vending machine where you put a few coins in and you pull the lever and, and things are given. That's not how that works at all. And the prosperity gospel desires us to, to have that kind of idea. But that's not what we're talking about here. When we talk about the desire for pure biblical teaching, we want the right things said. We want the right things learned. That's why we take the Bible and we say, okay, here's, where this, here's what the Bible says here. Let's go find that elsewhere in Scripture and prove it. Then we can build a doctrine on that. Here's what we normally do, though. We'll take one specific phrase and we'll make an entire doctrine out of that phrase. Right? We will. Uh, I, the one I always give, and my, my people, you just have to forgive me because I, I know I, I say it often. But do you remember the phrase, Jesus wept? In English, it's the shortest version. It's not the shortest in Greek, but whatever. And, and here's what we do. We will take a phrase of Scripture and build an entire doctrine and sometimes a denomination on it. We will. Jesus wept. We ought to weep. What well, ought to be the, the only thing we're about? We're going to be the weeping Baptist church. And we just weep. We come in here and we'll just cry all the time. And that's going to be where we are. Do you see how heresy can creep in? In just that little notion. Now, is it wrong to weep? No. 
we should weep when we're supposed to weep. We're built like that. That's how we are. But that's not the doctrine we ought to base that on. What, what's the doctrine we ought to base it on? We, let's go a little deeper. Why was Jesus weeping? He was ge- weeping over the, the, the place of Jerusalem who had spurned him and his father's teachings for generations. And he wept for them. Because, oh, he wanted to gather them together and, and, and have them be a people, a people of God. But what they've done is scattered by their own by their own hypocrisy, by their own uh, religion. They've scattered the things of God. It's funny. There has to be a desire for pure biblical teaching. By the way, the rest of that verse that I read from 2 Timothy says this, but after their own lusts, they shall heap together to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. I heard this uh, last week of a church that professes uh, that uh, evolution is true. And since evolution is true, it's based off of that, that homosexuality is okay, everything else is all right, and everything's permissible. And when they read that passage of Scripture, wait for it, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, they're saying everything. And heresy abounds but let's switch gears not only the desires of the higher heart but let's talk about the design excuse me the design of the higher heart what does that look like well look in verse 4 of our passage back in first peter it says to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of god and precious ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now let's just take those two first two verses. Uh, the temple of the living God. Now last week when I started to talk about this particular point, I really wanted to get across to you that you have become something of a strange thing to people. Now, first thing of what happens when someone becomes born again, when they, uh, they understand that they're positioning uh, against God, they've re- repented of their sins, and they've come to Christ, there's something that happens to them that is, well, it's indescribable, except it's described in Scripture. Let me give it to you. Turn with me over to, uh, let's see, Ephesians chapter 1. That'd be a great place to go. It's not in my notes, but you'll get this for free. How about that? Ephesians chapter 1. And skip down just a couple of verses there, and we're going to look in... Uh, let me find it. Ah. Gosh, I just want to read so much of it. Okay, we'll start in verse 11. That'll be the easiest one to start playing. Verse 11 in chapter 1 of Ephesians, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, that after ye had heard the word of faith, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also that ye have believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory." Now, there, I've, got, I've got sermons after sermon on that passage of Scripture. But here's what it basically boils down to. God did a work in you by sealing you with the Holy Spirit of redemption. Now, the good news on that side is, is that that can never be taken away. If you've truly been born again, the Spirit of God has been sealed in you. Now, there's a purpose for the sealing. One, there's a, the buyback of the possession, right? He knows who his are. So when he comes back... He'll recognize that. Secondly, though, the more important one for us, at least our side of things, is it changes us. I now have something inside of me that can go to God. Now, that's never been done. Now, we read about things like it in the Old Testament or similar to it when we read about Old Testament saints where the Spirit came upon them. But upon is not in. It's not the same word. 
In fact, it's not even the same realm. Imagine being moved by the Spirit without the Spirit inside you. There's a difference. What happens to the believer is we become the temple of God. This is where God is worshipped. That's why when Jesus said to the woman at the well, there will come a day when you'll neither worship in Jerusalem nor in this mountain. I went yesterday to Mount Magazine. Anybody know where Mount Magazine is? Yeah, that's here in the state of Arkansas. For those of you from Michigan, there's several in the crowd and other places, Alaska. It's the shortest tall mountain in Arkansas. Does that make sense? You know, you know, you guys know about big mountains wherever you're at. You know, we don't have big mountains here. We have nice sized hills that we call mountains. And the mountain, Mount Magazine is the largest or the tallest mountain in, in Arkansas. We got up there and you could see for miles in any direction. And it's absolutely gorgeous. And I wanted to worship God there. I wanted to stay there and just be in awe of His majesty and worship. But I didn't need to worship there. I can worship anywhere because the Spirit of God has been sealed inside of me. And I've become the temple of the living God. The design of the higher heart is that you are now the temple of the living God. What a glorious thing to be called that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Now, here's the, here's the rub. We talk strenuously about being holy. Now, that doesn't mean perfect. And I need you guys to understand that because going forward, you're going to be really hard on yourselves. And it's okay to self, to self uh, you know, look at yourself occasionally. But really what we need to be doing is focusing on Christ and letting Him change us. Now, from time to time, the body sins and we repent of the sin and we move on. As believers in Jesus Christ, though, we are called to be holy for He is holy. Because we're, we're to identify with Him. So let me give you one more piece of scripture about this. It says, What know ye not that your temple, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. One of the harder things for us to overcome is tradition. Tradition? In Baptist work in particular, now I'm Baptist by conviction. Because I, I firmly believe that, that Baptists, older Baptists of, of older times, had it right. And doctrinally, I can see them straight as people of the book. It's what we used to be called. But here's the thing. In, in traditions, they're, they're, we lose some things a lot of times. And then one of the traditions, in, in particularly in Baptist work, is the idea of once saved, always saved. That is a correct doctrine. But what we've done with it is polluted it. Let me explain. In a lot of Baptist circles, we say once saved, always saved. And we, what we're saying is that we believe that once God has saved us, we will absolutely be saved forever. And that is correct. Problem. There are a lot of Baptist circles that that's not what they mean at all. Here's what they think it means. They will say that because God has saved me, I can go and do as, as I want to do now without any hindrances at all and the problem well you see the problem it multiplies in a hurry is that they think now that they can they have carte blanche to sin as much as they want because they've been forgiven I reject that I repudiate that but that's not the purpose for which you were saved you were saved to glorify God in your body now I'm not talking works righteousness I'm talking the natural outpouring of what God has done in you ought to be reflected in the things you do. You ought to live like you're holy. You know, one of the, and I was going somewhere with that earlier, and I wanted to help you. Family's the hardest people, the harder people to win to Christ. Because what happens is we get saved, and they don't want to see it. That's just the way it is. I showed up several years ago at a, at a, uh, a Christmas get-together for my family, my side of the family, and I'm, I'm, my brother and I are the only two that are born again as far as I know, my half-brother. And I walk in the room, my half-brother's not there, but all the rest of the other family is, and, and we start sitting, we were just sitting there talking and whatnot, and one by one, all of them, all of them, 
got up and left me sitting in the living room and went to the kitchen. And I sat there for probably 15 minutes and no one came back to talk to me or anything like that. And I finally just politely got up and I left. But the people who, are not, who don't know Christ don't want to be around people, usually. Now, there are the exceptions, those who are curious, because we're weird. You're weird if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You're strange. You're a peculiar people, the Bible says. And you ought to be that. There ought to be a, the design of the higher heart is that you're the temple of God. Guess what? The people who are not affiliated or knowledgeable of the things of God don't understand the temple of God and really don't want to have anything to do with it. It's a lot like inviting uh, a criminal to come visit the police station. Let's, let's just do a little role play here, okay? This is going to be a police station right here. And we've got criminals who are out there. And what we're going to do is advertise for criminals to come in here, the police station. We've got great little rooms for you. Three square meals a day. We're not going to judge you. We're just going to lock you in a cell. I mean, lock you in a room. You see, it, it's counterproductive to what they know. They wouldn't willingly go down to the police station and go hang out there just because they got an invite from the police. Criminals don't do that. Can I say people who are anti-God, which are everyone outside of Christ, don't want to come visit your church, usually. And especially if you're a Bible-teaching church that tells about the wrath of God upon the ungodly. Because we do teach that here. Our study through the book of Romans, if you remember it, chapter 1 in particular, chapter 2 too, and chapter 3, we just kind of kept going talks about the wrath of God upon the ungodly. And when you start preaching that, guess what? People start getting nervous. People start saying, I, I really don't want to be around that. And worst case scenario, they'll say, no, I don't believe in your God of wrath. My God doesn't require you to believe in Him. He's there anyway. He's already there. Now, what I like to tell them is I tell them all about the wrath first so they understand their position so that then they can understand the side of love that we talk about on, on the later side of the gospel. And both are part of the gospel. We teach them that there is a God who is in heaven who is holy and righteous and demands holiness and righteousness and says you don't qualify and that you're lost in your sin and that you need Jesus to be saved. But see, salvation doesn't make any sense unless they're lost first. You've got to tell them both sides. If all we do is tell them about love, then we've done them a disservice. We've, we've literally made a God for them. Because what God, what God, wouldn't you love to just say, oh, God is love and it's just so wonderful to be a, a, a believer in Jesus Christ. It is wonderful. There is no equivocation there. But... If we never tell them that they are a lost sinner in need of a Savior, why would they ever get saved? They would just say, well, I believe in the Jesus of love. Okay. I'm grateful. You know, the devils believe in Jesus, but they're not saved. Salvation comes when both sides are presented. Now, why do I say all that? Because the design of a higher heart is to present you as a temple. You've been made special. You're peculiar, you're weird, and people need to see you a little weird. You say, well, can't I just conform to this world? No, the Bible says not to do that. In several places. 1 John, Romans 12. I mean, we could go on and on for there. But here's the thing. We are called to be different called to be a temple second corinthians 6 16 helps you with that and what agreement hath the temple of god with idols for ye are the temple of the living god as god hath said i will dwell in them and walk in them and i will be their god and they shall be my people wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate saith the lord and touch not the unclean thing and i will receive you and will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters saith the lord almighty what a great passage of scripture but it does require us 
to live holy as the temple of God. That means you don't go about looking for things that you can defile your body with. Now, there's a lot out there to do that with. A lot. Now, I want to change topics for just a second. That's part of the design of a higher heart. What did I, what did I call that section? Let's see. The temple of the living God. Secondly, the stone or Christ that God has selected. Let's talk about that for just a second. Look, if you will, in verse 5. Ye also as lively stones, or excuse me, go back up one, to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You know, Christ was here for 33 years, and he was rejected by most. There were some who accepted him. There were some who understood. But for the most part, there was a rejection of Christ. Why did they reject him? Well, for the Jew, there was a rejection of Christ because he wasn't what they expected. They were expecting a Messiah on a white horse to come in, save the day, conquer the Romans, and give them, right now, a millennial reign on earth. That was kind of their idea, or some kind of a reign on earth. Then you have everybody else, the non-Jews. And the non-Jews didn't believe because, well, they weren't the people of God. They really didn't care about those kinds of things. They were into pagan worship and other things. And so there was selfishness on their part, selfishness on the Jews' part. The Jews had a religion, and if you didn't fit the religion, they kicked you out. Remember that the, the, the thing about Christianity is it's not a religion. I always tell you that if, if your Christianity is a religion, you're doing it wrong. Christianity is about a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It, it's a lot like... Um, you know, my son, let's say that uh, I was the mayor. I don't want the job. Let's say I was the mayor. And there's a young man who wanted to get to know the mayor. What's one of the best ways he can get to know the mayor? Find his kids and hang out with the kids. My son, knew, uh, who, who is a, a congenial guy, he, he makes a friend over here and he says, you know, I'd really like to meet your dad. Well, I can make that happen as a son. My son has purview into my life. My children and my wife are, are one of the few who can come barging into my office no matter what. They can always show up and ask Dad. But not so a stranger. Not so someone that doesn't know me. So if my son brings in someone who, who doesn't know me but wants to know me, I'm going to make an effort to know them. That's why I, I ask all my sons and my kids' friends to, to show up at my house. I want to know them, right? Not because I'm a special guy, but I want to get to know them. That's a dad thing. But here's the point here. Our Christ, our Jesus, is the stone that God has selected to be the head of the corner, to be precious to be the link between him and God. He is the bridge. First Timothy tells us that. He is the way. John tells us that. All of those things are, are there so that we might know God better by his son. How do we know what the character of God looks like? We look into the face of Jesus Christ and discover the character of God there. He is the link. He is the only way. The way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by Him. That's exciting stuff. Isaiah 28, 16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. You know, it's an interesting passage of Scripture. But man, what a setup. Jesus Christ is the foundation by which we might know who and how God is. He laid it out for us. Psalm 118.22 says, The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. You know, it's funny. Whenever you go to, to build a house, if you're going to situate it, you want to set, set one corner in the direction you want it to set, right? If you go up and, and build a house and just, start, just throw it down, it could end up any direction under the sun. But once you set that cornerstone, in the direction it needs to be, it's the main foundation. They used to do it a lot in bigger buildings, and they still do. 
Houses aren't so much done like that anymore. I, I built a, a couple of them or been around them when they were built. But that corner, that, that one corner down there kind of sets the tone for everything else. And that's the way our foundation is. Jesus Christ is the foundation stone of our faith. His bodily resurrection is the hinge pin. The fact that he died and then rose again, no one else can claim that. We, and I've talked about this, I talked to, uh, around uh, Resurrection Day about how Jesus had witnesses here on the earth. He had witnesses in hell. He had, wit he had the witnesses of Scripture, of the prophets. He had so many witnesses. And it all leads to the structural foundation of this passage right here that says Christ is that cornerstone. To him coming as a, into a living stone, disallowed in need of men, but chosen of God. And if you go down just a little bit further, <clears throat> ye also, as lively stones are built upon a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Now, he's the stone that God's chosen, but he's also the stone that everybody else rejects. Why? Because they don't want the righteousness of God. And it hinges on that fact. The average unbeliever likes where he is. If you were to ask anybody out there who's out there, they, they're pretty well satisfied. If they're, especially in an affluent area, they're real happy with everything that's going on around them. And it's okay. I don't need Jesus. I've got money. I don't need this. I don't need Jesus. I've got... Uh, Houses. I don't need Jesus. I've got family. I don't need. They have all kinds of excuses for it, and the reason they don't want Jesus is because Jesus is going to make them conform to Him and His image, and not their own. That is the nature. You see, it's called lordship. By the way, when you submit to Christ for salvation, you submit to Him as Lord and Savior. Uh oh, I'm about to step on some toes. Hang on to it. If you, if you have him as Lord and Savior, then he is Lord. And if he is Lord, then that makes you his servant. <coughs> Excuse me. Servant. Now, we don't like that word. That makes us submissive. We don't like submissive. You see where I'm going with all this? <coughs> what we've done is, or what we are worried about now as an unbeliever, I don't want to submit my life to Jesus Christ because he might change what's going on with me. And I dare say that most, a lot of Christianity today is built on the premise that I can stay the same as when or before I believed in Jesus, quote unquote. One of the reasons I don't usually give a big invitation is because I'm not here to cajole you into coming to Christ. I'm here to preach the word to you and let the Spirit of God move upon you to be saved. If God wants to redeem you, He will. I'm just a messenger. I would love to tell you that I have some kind of magic influence over you, Rick. I really would. That I could, I could somehow cajole you down here and you would repent of your sins and, and, and trust Jesus. And I'm sure that I could come up with a way or two to do that. I mean... Goodness gracious, I'm a Baptist preacher. I could probably figure it out. But one thing I don't want to be is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to be the Holy Spirit. Let Him do His work. So when God convicts you of your sin and you need to get right with Christ, guess what? That Holy Spirit will work on you and you will fall to your face and repent of your sins and come to Christ. But it won't be because some preacher made you do it. You're not going to get to blame me if, you're, if you don't really get saved. It's not the way that works. So the stone that others rejected, verse 7, take a look. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. That is absolutely true. Gosh, what a great, great phrase. Unto us which believe, Jesus is precious to us. In fact, we don't, we don't understand when people can't or won't come to Christ. We don't get it. 
Why can't they just hear about a blessed Savior who came and died for our sins and was resurrected the third day to pay for those sins and now sits at the right hand of the Father on high? Why can't they just come to Christ and, and, and see how precious He is if they would just see? That's not how that works. See, they don't understand positionally who they are or where they are. They don't understand that they've, they've sinned against God and Him alone. Because of their sin, they are cast away from God. And they cannot be, cannot be near God. That's why I'm confused by modern, what do I call it? Modern liberal Christianity. That's such an oxymoron in, in, in every sense of the word. They, they, here's what they espouse. They espouse that you can stay in your sin and continue on to do what you were doing. They don't call it sin either. They call it something else, lifestyles and whatever. That you can continue on. That there's no judgment. That God just accepts you for who you are. It's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. You see, it sounds nice though. It's pretty. It says that I can be gay and be right with God. I can be a bank robber and be right with God. I can be a spouse abuser and be right with God. God's okay with that. God's okay if I, if I cheat everybody around me and, and God just accepts me for who I am. Do you see the lie that's there? It's perpetrated on purpose so that they might have an ease of conscience because they don't want to be conformed to the image of Christ. They, they want to be conformed. Well, they just want to be their own image. They want to do it their way. They're, they want to be Sinatra and do it their way. Well, this ain't Burger King and you're not Sinatra. You can't have it your way. It's God's way or no way. See, that's very, that's very narrow. Yeah, I know. Jesus said it. I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man, no man, comes unto the Father unless they come by Him. You come by Christ and be conformed to Him, then you can go to the Father. But there's no other way. The stone that others rejected, they reject Him because of His authority. They don't want Christ's authority. They don't want to have Him as Lord and Savior. They'll take the Savior part. The Savior part's their favorite. It's like, it's like okay, how many of you love cake? How many of you love, just raise your hand. Do you love cake? Do you like the icing? Okay, raise your hand for icing or cake. Okay, so both, some of you both, I got it. It's, it's like trying to scrape off all the icing but not eating the cake. Okay? Now, I'm okay with that because I like the cake better than I do the icing. But it's the same for me too. You can't have both parts. You can't say, I want the salvation, but oh, 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 hold off on the lordship. You can't do it. It's part and parcel. You have to take both. There's no equivocation there. In fact, to take him as Savior means to accept him as Lord. Now, how does that work? I wish I knew. All I can tell you is that when you come to Christ, there is a desire in the heart for something different. Those who've truly been saved, born again, have a desire to do His will, not yours, not their own. All right, let me finish up this, this last point on point number two. It looks like we're going to have a third part. Didn't mean for that to happen today. I hadn't even got to point number three. Sorry. So C says, the stone that the others rejected. Willful disobedience causes people to reject Christ. Can I tell you, it really is willful. Do you, know, do you know that's the reason we punish kids? I mean, you know, in kids in general. When we're trying to raise kids, we don't really punish accidents. Right? Nobody punishes accidents. Oops, they knocked that over. Now, there's a difference between oops, they knocked it over, than oops, I went over there and pushed it over and stomped in the middle of it. You see the difference between the two? If I set a glass of milk on a table and one of my kids is reaching for the potatoes and accidentally knocks it over, that's an accident. 
But if I put a glass of milk on the table and the kid looks at me and goes, that's not an accident. That's willful disobedience. Okay? People are, haven't changed much since they were little. They don't change unless God changes them. I hate to break it to you, Lee. That's just kind of the way it goes. They're going to stay, they're, they're stay kids until God changes them into something better. I'm convinced of it. Here's what happens. In willful disobedience, listen to, what, listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. And you all will remember this from our study in Romans. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. See, that's willful disobedience. If you know who God is and you deliberately, and that's what it says here, they glorified Him not as God. You see what that did? If I knew who God was, but I didn't glorify Him as God, what did I do? Wait, let's finish it out here. They glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish heart was darkened. See, here's what happens in an in idea of authority. We have, in our mind, no, we know something. I'll give you a great example of this. The police. We know who they are. Do you know they have a badge and a uniform and and we know who the police are. And in willful disobedience, while he's got somebody else pulled over, what do you do? Right on by. You're just speeding by. Now, if he's sitting on the side of the road without somebody pulled over, what do you do? You slow down because of authority. But if he's got somebody else pulled over, well, let's hit that, uh, that little button over here and speed this up a little bit. I got a free pass. That's how we operate as people. It's called willful disobedience. Let me re read the rest of that passage for you. Here's what it says in verse 22. By the way, at the end of that verse, it says, And their foolish heart was darkened. That's, the, that's what happens when you don't recognize God as God. Your foolish heart gets darkened. Fool is said in his heart, there is no God. It becomes dark. 22 says, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. I call this, uh, in, in lack of a better term, and I'm sure other preachers have got a better term for it, I call this the cycle of sin. And, and it spirals. We can call it the sin spiral. I like that too. I'm a preacher though. That's what we do. We alliterate. But it starts here with this understanding of who God is, but I'm not going to recognize Him, so I start going down. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down a little further and I'm going to create an image that I can replace God with. And then the image replaces God. Then I don't have to recognize God as God. i got this image. See, it just keeps going a little deeper. And wait, it gets worse. It keeps going. <clears throat> Made like corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. See, the sin spiral says, I know who God is, but I'm not going to honor Him as God. So I'm going to create a, something that I'm going to worship as God so that I don't have to see God. And God says, well, I'm going to let you go and do what you want to do. But then he gave them over to more sin. Because when you have certain sins in your life, they automatically beget more sin. And more sin. What does it say at the end? Who changed the truth of God into a lie. And worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen. That's the sin cycle. The spiral that takes us there. You see, we, men have disallowed the cornerstone of Jesus. That's why, look, nobody has a problem with saying, God bless America. Nobody does. Because we, can, we substitute. God can mean anything. So no, the Muslim's not offended when we say, God bless America. The atheist isn't even offended, God bless America, because they think they're God or whatever. They got their own. They're not really offended because God is a general term for a deity. That's, in the, that's what their mind is. Oh, but say the word Jesus to somebody. And everything changes. That's the way that works, right? What if we said, Jesus, bless America? Everybody would lose their mind on CNN. 
Acts chapter 3 and verse 13. And I want to read this and I'll close. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied Him in the presence of Pilate when He was determined to let Him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and the desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses, and His name through faith in His name hath made this man strong. Talking about that, uh, that young man they healed. Whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by Him hath given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I want not that through ignorance ye did it also, uh, your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all of His prophets, that Christ should suffer, he, that he, he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And He shall send Jesus Christ, which before you was preached unto you. You see, Jesus, rejected of men, is precious to us. Don't think it any big deal when they reject you. When those family members look at you and go, yeah, I remember when you were this big and you were doing this and this, and they don't believe that you've changed, they see it. Don't trust me, they see it. But when they don't believe your words, know that they, they're not hating on you, they're hating on Christ. It's Him they hate. I worry that we think too highly of what other men think. Last part of our passage and we'll quit. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious unto them. But unto them, he which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And verse 8 says, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Whereunto also they were appointed. Can I just tell you? If the disobedient stay in their disobedience, they, will, they have their place. God says, I, I've got a place for them. And I will tell you that it is our job as ambassadors of Christ, whether or not they like it or not, to tell them. I would love to be like my hard shell brethren and say, well, you know, God's going to save who He will, and He will. But guess what? We're instruments of His righteousness for His namesake. We are ambassadors for Christ. So a higher heart, a nobler heart is the one who understands the desires of the higher heart and has that new design of a higher heart. And next week we'll look at another piece of that. Let's stand. Father God, we come before you today. Help us. Help us to be noble in you. Not proud, not boasters, but to be seeking the things of you that you might be glorified. Oh, that's all we desire, Lord. Help us to be holy that you might be glorified. Help us to win the loss that you might be glorified. Help us, Lord, to seek and save the loss so that you might be glorified. Forgive us, Lord. Help us. In Jesus' name we pray.